You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. And just to think of that day, think of that day that will one day come where we will be with him and we will be singing and we will be worshiping and exploring the beauties and the majesty of a new heavens and new earth. But until that time, We've got life to live here. We've got things on our plates. We have things that overwhelm us at times and yet other things that allow us to get a glimpse and a greatness of the glory of God. And and we get that glimpses at times, even in times of worship like this, as we put our hearts and our thoughts and our minds into what God has for us and how God has given us his word, how God has given us his spirit, how God has given us the ability to worship him and praise him and, and call out to him. And he's also given us the body of Christ, and we are so thankful for the body of Christ and what he is growing and building here at Hope Bible Church. And for those of you joining us online today, we're also glad that you can join us in that way as well. And, and it is a joy, and it is a journey uh, for all of us to walk through this life, but it is a joy when we have Christ and when we have one another. And even yesterday, we had a great time. Men gathered together for a men's tune-up day at, uh, at um, a, a garage, and a great time in worship and the word and prayer together. We need those kind of influences and, and, and times together with the body of Christ. But then also, too, last Sunday night, another high mark part uh, point in our church's month. Um, and, and as we gathered together for evening, a fervent prayer and worship. And we'll be doing that again at the end of, in a month's time. We do, we do it monthly and, and just a special time. And, um, and, and then the groups that meet throughout the week to study the word, to grow together, to pray together, and, and encourage one another in these dark, difficult, and also very exciting and opportunistic days. And, and it's also so great that this morning we also get to be part of what God is doing, not just only here, but in Edmonton. And today, Kyle Hunter, if you want to come up here, Kyle. And um, Kyle is the church plant pastor in Edmonton at Redemption Church. He's part of the Great Commission Collective, the network that we are part of. And, uh, and he left his wife, Julie, at home with two of their kids and brought their son, Owen, here. And it's great to have Kyle and Owen here. Now, a little fun fact about Kyle is he's a Saskatchewan, uh, Saskatchewan-born, Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan, so um, I mean, just love him, um, you know, for, for that. And, uh, and there's many other things, too, that we love about him, but he actually was our first guest speaker at uh, when our church started seven and a half years ago. We had about five or six weeks, and the people got tired of hearing me preach. And so, they, so Kyle flew out from Ontario, where he and the family were situated at that time, to come and preach. And so he first guest speaker at this church. And so it's great. Um, it, it, yesterday, um, the men got to hear of, of God's just working in his life, and he's going to give a little update about the church in Edmonton. Ron and Vicki Beer, who were a part of our church here and moved back. <laughs> we don't know why, Ron, Vicki, really. And anyways, but, but God had a call. Uh, they, it was very regularly, Vicki would be emailing me, when is the church happening in Edmonton? When is the church happening in Edmonton? Like on repeat almost. I think she set a calendar for that. And I'm like, you keep praying, you keep trusting. And so um, it's exciting how God is raising up work there. Kyle will give a report and then he will pray into his message this morning. So Kyle, welcome here. It's great to have you here. Let's welcome here uh, him here um, with us this morning. That's great. Yeah, I was getting a little scared when uh, Melvin introduced me, said I'd left my wife, but then he continued to say, <laughs> in Edmonton, so uh, my boy Owen is here with me, so really glad for the company. Uh, really glad to be here. Yes, uh, first guest preacher, kind of a big deal, so uh, yeah, it's like the only thing I can say in preaching. I was a first guest preacher once in a place called Kelowna, Hope Kelowna. Uh, you guys are in a different spot now, so this is pretty neat to see this place, um, and man, what a blessing from the Lord, hey, as we look for places in Edmonton. Man, we know now, like, it is tough to find a spot. And so uh, we are up in Edmonton. Uh, There's a long story of how we got there. Um, so to just fast track, we're in Edmonton. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say that. And so uh, we have now a growing uh, core group. We use these terms like core group because we haven't, you know, launched yet. I don't know if some of you from launch days know those terms, but really we're a church. And uh, we're a growing church. We're a church in construction. And so we, uh, we have about 20 adults, I'd say. It's kind of ebbed and flowed. It's interesting as people, you know, uh, come and go, oh, I'm excited, oh, I'm not sure. And, 
And so uh, we got about 20, but we got about 20 kids as well. And so there's kids everywhere. I said to them, I said, man, if you can get sitters uh, for a core group time, we meet in the afternoons really for worship. I'm, I'm kind of training them, teaching them what we're about as a church. I said, if you can find sitters for your kids, that'd be fantastic. Well, that translated through the email somehow, like bring as many kids as you can find and <laughs> cancel all your sitters. And, and so it's actually, it's really fun. It's really neat. We, uh, we have all these kids all over the place. And so uh, pray for us. So praise, we do have a spot. So we, we have a spot now, it's at a Seventh-day Adventist place, and it looks like we're going to be there at least until we maybe grow that out or something else happens. We've been sort of nomadic all over the place, and so praise God we found a spot, and many people that kind of were familiar with our church were praying for that, but pray for more space. We do need a space for us to launch one day, man, a space like this, this is fantastic, and I hope you know how fantastic this is, what a neat thing to gather, man, to hear the voices this morning so good, and so Pray for space. Um, pray, pray this to, if you can pray that God draws people and God keeps people. You know, so I don't want to be the guy to try to twist arms and just, you know, just please, 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 please. Yes, I'm going to, I'm going to preach, I'm going to teach, and we're going to share what our church is about and what this church is about. But would you pray that God would draw the people? Many of you have stories of how God has drawn you here. Would God draw them and would God keep them by his word? And in his time, would God convince them of who Christ is, of his word and these things that we love so much? Uh, also and lastly, just pray for wisdom. Uh, always pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom, you know, for Melvin. I'm so thankful for Melvin here as he pastors. There's such wisdom that's needed as you shepherd people. Pray for wisdom as we try to discern growing leaders and, and who God is raising up. Uh, pray wisdom for myself, for my family. Would you pray for my family and and also for the growing church for protection. So pray that God would uh, deliver us from evil. Um, but pray, as you pray that, if you would pray that the Lord would grow in us a heart for Christ. I mean, the greatest protection is not just that you be kept from things. The greatest protection is that you grow in your faith and trust and fear and, and delight in Christ. And so pray that for my family. I've got uh, three kids. So Caleb, Owen, and Natalie. So again, Owen, the middle boy, he's here with me morning, and yes, I have a wife, and she is still in Edmonton, so, uh, but pray for us that we would grow in our faith and love for Christ, and for the church as well, if you would. Um, so let me pray now, and then we're going to dive into God's Word together. Father, uh, Lord God Almighty, we, we just come to you this morning, and Lord, we acknowledge our neediness, and Lord, our unworthiness, Lord, as we sing songs, uh, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, um, we are reminded of your holiness. Lord, we thank you in light of that, in our, our sin, yet Christ. Lord, the one who alone is strong enough and righteous enough, fully God and fully man. Lord, we praise you for the gospel that you sent Christ and he came obediently and he accomplished what no one could but Christ rose from the grave, and Lord, we have hope. We have hope, and so, Father, we praise you for that, and uh, Lord, we know Christ is coming soon. We've already prayed that this morning, we're saying that, and so, Lord, we're so looking forward to that, and as we come and open up your word, Father, we pray that you would speak through your word. Lord, would we be submissive to your word? Father, we want to come humbly and just admit we need to hear your word, certainly not my word, and even as I preach, I need to hear your word. So, Lord, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, be here and just uh, by your spirit, Lord, work. You are worthy. So change us, help us. Lord, strengthen us. Bring us to repentance. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Psalm 73. If I hadn't said that already, I don't think I have. So turn to Psalm 73. So basically, pretty near middle of your Bible. If you are in the middle of your Bible, it shouldn't take you too long. To find it. If you don't have a Bible, if you forgot to bring one, it's going to be really annoying this morning not to have one. So if you want to grab a Bible, if some ushers can get you that, just put your hand up and we'll get a Bible to you. Uh, that'd be fantastic. So Psalm 73, we're going to go through, so a couple things just so that you're not wondering as I preach through this. It's a two-point sermon. Those are still biblical and it's going down that way. And so We've got a two-point sermon this morning, so if I'm on point two and you're like, man, oh man, when's point three coming? Point three is never going to come. Okay, so it's a two-point sermon, so just be ready for that. Um, we're going to go through the entire psalm as well, 
And so be ready for that. Uh, God is good? All the time. I was hoping that someone would say that all the time. God is good. Okay, I don't know if you guys ever say that in, like that in this church. You do? Like, do you repeat it like that? Ever? No. Okay, so <laughs> you do say God is good, but you don't repeat it like that. That's to be clear. Okay, isn't it interesting, man? That's still like no problem. We can, we can say that. So, yes, God is good. And you would think if that is true, and, and it's something we can rattle off uh, so easily, and I would say everyone here, I, w- I would guess that most everyone in here would say yes, absolutely. If I gave you a questionnaire, you'd say, God, God is good. But if God is so good, then you would think that we would be able to, s- to clearly see it all the time. We say it, but you would think that we would be able to clearly see it all the time. Melvin's already mentioned loosely that these are tough times. If God is good all the time, then how come we can't see it all the time? I, I wonder if you've ever looked around and you've asked these questions, and I'm assuming if you're human, on some level this has come out of your mouth or at least in your heart. You look around, you have questions. Are you punishing me, God? Is this because of my past? Where are you? Why, God? When will things change? I can't take it anymore. You look at others around you, maybe, and you say, their life is easy, and and Lord, not only is their life easy and mine's tough, but they hate you. I mean, they openly say that they hate you. They have everything. I've lost everything. When will you do something? And, and those questions go on and on. And, and those oftentimes are seasons. Sometimes those seasons are so long, it feels like you've never actually got out of that season. But we ask these questions. We say God is good. God is good all the time. And then we don't see it all the time. And so Psalm 73 was written over 3,000 years ago. Did you know that? It was written over 3,000 years ago by a man named Asaph, a godly man. He's credited for 12 psalms in the book of Psalms. And he wrote Psalm 73, and he wrote it asking the same questions. He knew God was good all the time, but he was struggling. Man, and he's honest like the psalms are to say, He's not sugarcoating it. He's saying some things that many of us think, but few of us say. And it's the same questions, not only, isn't it interesting, 3,000 years ago, these are the same questions that have been asked since sin entered the world. Since really creation. The same question has been asked. Again, this isn't a new question. If God is good, then, then why? What's going on? And so, our, our big idea, what I want you to see from Psalm 73, what I, what I think the Lord would want us to see from the text is this, is that God is truly good, but seeing is believing. Okay, God is truly good, but seeing is believing. And so where you look, where you put your focus is going to determine what you believe. And so first point, when my eyes are off God... I will question if he is truly good. When my eyes are off of God, I will question if he is truly good. Again, Asaph would have said, God is good. And maybe maybe they were doing this back then. I don't know. Maybe it's been going on forever. And the choir would say all the time. And he'd say all the time. He'd say, God is good. I mean, Asaph knew that. We know he knew it. Look at verse 1. Truly, God is good. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So those who are in Christ are, are Israel, he's saying. So Israel is anyone who is in Christ, and God is good particularly to his people. We know this in the gospel. And so the good news of the gospel, if you are in Christ this morning, then you can say with, with a whole heart, I know that God is good. You know, we, we know this. We weren't seeking him yet. He sought us out. Right? God is good. We weren't seeking him. He sought us out. Our God is good. We were condemned to eternity apart from him. And he redeemed us. These are the truths of the gospel that we don't get tired of. We're corrupt. Not one area of our lives untouched by sin. And yet Christ canceled our sin. Yet Christ on the cross because of his righteous life credits us his righteousness. This is incredible. This is God's goodness. 
So as believers in Christ, we know the goodness of God. Asaph knew God is good all the time. And yet, look at verse 2. Look at what happens in verse 2. He says this, But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. One verse. Only after one verse, he's already declaring, I don't know if it's really true. He's almost abandoned it all, he says. And why? How can that change so quickly within one verse? And look at verse 3. For I was envious and arrogant. He's envious and er- of the arrogant, sorry, of the wicked. He's envious of them. Why? Well, he doesn't want to become like them. It's not that type of envy. He's like, man, I wish I could be more wicked like that guy. No, he, he's not envious for that. He's envious of the fact that though they're opposed to God, they seem to be blessed by God. God, aren't you good? And so verses 3 to 12, you can see he describes it. We'll go through it for you. He couldn't believe God's goodness because of what he was seeing. And so look at and listen to what he was seeing. He says, for I was envious of the arrogant. Why? When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're fat and happy. They're pain-free life. Verse 5. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Maybe you can relate to this. Again, this isn't new. They've got it without a care in the world, he says. Verse 6, therefore pride is their necklace. It's like a clothing that they wear. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell through their fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. So they gorge themselves on evil. And he goes on, verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. So they're intimidating. Verse 9, they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. So they, they mock and curse God and they do this wherever they go. I mean, wherever they go. Verse 10, he goes on, therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Now there's, this is a tough verse. We don't have time to spend on this. There's different translations. If you have an NASB that's going to come out differently or King James. Uh, but it seems like in one of the the ideas here is, is that God's people, like Asaph was tempted to, some of them turn, they look at that, and they say, I guess there's no fault. I guess it's true. You can kind of do what you want and get away with it. And then verse 11. Verse 11, not only is this going on, but they are vocal. And not just vocal about their sin, they are vocal and they are, they are targeting and honing in on God himself. Listen. Verse 11, he says, they say, how can God know? Is there no knowledge in the Most High? Mocking God. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. So if we closed in prayer right now, that'd be a rough sermon. <laughs> right? All right, let's close in prayer. You are loved. Yeah, God, it's good. <laughs> So God, Asaph knows, okay, he knows, God is good. Okay, he knows it. But seeing is believing. And what is he seeing right now? Where is his gaze fixed? I think verses 3 to 12 makes it real clear. We're not wondering. Right? All he sees is wicked. All he sees is the wicked winning. All he sees is almost like a gospel for the wicked. That's what he's seeing. He's got this tunnel vision. You know, we're, my family, we're, we're still, it's, I didn't mention this, but we're still living uh, in my mom's basement. I've often used this joke to say I'm living the dream, you know, living in my mom's basement. So we haven't bought a house yet. When you plant a church in Edmonton, when God does that, and, and you're to be leading that, you don't know where you're going to live. And so we do have a house coming. So we've purchased a place, and possession is end of March. So long story short, uh, the kids have been whining about a dog, and we said if we ever had enough land, we'd get a dog. Well, now we have some land, and we're getting the dog. It's interesting. Now everything I see has to do with dogs. You just see dogs everywhere. We're getting a golden retriever. That's all I see. Everyone has a golden retriever. That's all I see now. 
right? You see dog dishes and dog leashes and dog commercials and everything. You know what that is, right? And you, you, you get focused in on something and everything seems to be about that. And this is what's happening with Asaph, except it's much worse than dogs. <laughs> He's focused in on the wicked. And this is all that he sees. And you know it's all he sees because it's all he is telling us. His eyes are fixed on it. He's consumed with it. And now his focus changes in verse 13. Look at verse 13. There's a change in his focus, but what doesn't change is there is no God. There is still no God. And his change now, his gaze goes to himself. He says, verse 13, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Now do you hear what he's saying? He's looking at himself in light of the wicked, still no God, and he's saying this is all in vain. I wonder if you've ever been there. You know, I've served faithfully with my whole heart. I've served God, heart and hands, and I have nothing to show for it. You know, I've given my time to people, I've poured out, and I still have no good friends. I take care of my body, and yet my health is failing. I've been frugal, I've got no money. Hardworking, no promotion, or I lost my job. Praying, I still have no kids, or my kids are wayward. And the list goes on. He's saying, I've been faithful, God-fearing, serving you, and I think it's all in vain. What's the point? Have you ever been to the point, like myself, and you just said, I quit? And maybe that's come out of your mouth. You've said, I quit. I am done. And this is what Asaph is saying. And in many ways, he's looking around, and, and we would also look at that and be like, you know what, he's got some good points. There, there, there is some uh, legitimacy to what he's saying. There is some concern. Would you just quit? Have you ever poured into stuff, and the longer you pour into it, it doesn't work out? Um, the more pain there is? You know, I had, man, I had a tent trailer once. That was, and so some of you know already, you're like, it, <laughs> right. like enough said, you know, it, illustration's over. So, but I, I, I spent 12 hours straight, because I'm a bit of a nutcase, and so I'm like, no, I'm going to fix this tent trailer. Our kids were very little at the time, and, and the cable snapped on it, you know, this cable, this crank, and I was going to fix that cable. Well, I did 12 hours straight. I did a 12-hour shift in my driveway, and guess what? At the end of that? Nothing changed. It, it, it was exactly as it had been. The most demoralizing thing <laughs> you can go through. And not only is Asaph saying, I'm pouring into this and there's no change. There's no break. It's constant. Look at verse 14. He says, for all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. All day long. Now, he says, all day, every morning, so now I'm sure he's got the odd break. But you get the point. You get the point. You can hear his heart in it. I'm pursuing the Lord. I'm seeing nothing for change. And it's the same every day. It's not going away. And so in light of this pain and confusion, frustration, he can't even speak about it. The words, he says, he's got words, but he's not sure he can say it. Look at verse 15. He says, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He's like, even if I talk about it, I'm going to say something I regret. I'm going to betray God's people. I'm going to say something that isn't true about God. But man, what do I say? And so you can, you can get this sense of this you know, burning inside of him. He wanted to talk it through, but it's too exhausting. He says in verse 16, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Is God truly good? So, you know, often you hear this in Sunday school, right? Or uh, you call it, uh, is it Hope Kids? I think, you know, I know the answer is Jesus. Right? We kind of joke about that, right? I know the answer is yeah, We know God is good. God is truly good. The answer is yes. We know this today. If you were in Christ, you know the answer is yes. 
But we aren't always convinced of it. There's too much pain or loss. And this was the experience of Asaph. And and it's all right, and I often say this, you know, pastoring people, counseling people, it, God is not scared to take your circumstances and your pain and let, and let you camp there and call it for what it is. It is not more Christian to say, well, it's not so bad. could be worse. No, you call it for what it is, and Asaph has done that. Now look at, look at the turning point, okay? This would be, I don't know if you're, again, Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan, yes, the TSN turning point, okay? So here is the TSN turning point. This is where everything changes in the game. For Asaph, this is where, this is the game changer. Verse 17, until. Until what? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Hear that. That's when things changed. That is the only change. But it is the TSN turning point. The place where God's people went to worship is the sanctuary. He is saying, I got to God. I went to God. I fixed my eyes on my God. So Asaph knows God is good, but do you see the difference? But now he is looking at his God. Hear hear that this morning. That's the difference. How many people have you talked to? They're in pain, they're hurting, they're confused, they're frustrated, they're broken. And you say, God is good, and they say, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. They don't even want to talk about it. They don't want to look at God, I know the answer is that. But you need to then look at Him, though. And this is what Asaph does. It's not good enough just to have the answer. Now he's going to spend the hard work time in getting to his God and looking. And so notice, the turning point wasn't until his circumstances changed. And say, until the sun finally shone, until restrictions lifted, until I got my health back, until I settled into that new home, until I got a good friend, until I got a job that was locked down. It doesn't say that. Those would be great things, but it doesn't say it. It doesn't say until my attitude changed. You know, I just decided, I just decided that I was going to just have a better attitude. That changed everything. Now just, you know, cup half full kind of guy. No. Hear this. There is no hope. There is no answers apart from going to God. Hope Bible Church Kelowna, that's a good name. I've been told it's a better name than Redemption Church. That's not true. <laughs> but hope, hope, that's a good name. That's a good word. And when we fix our eyes on God, that's where it's found. And that's where it's found alone. And so God is truly good, but seeing is believing. So second point is this from the text. When my eyes are on God, I will know He is truly good. When my eyes are on God, I will know He is truly good. So fixing our eyes on God doesn't mean that you are out of touch with reality. Oh, that guy's got his eyes fixed on God. I can't talk to him about anything. i got to change my brakes later today. I don't want to talk to that guy. He's not going to talk to me about brakes. He's only going to talk to me about Jesus. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not someone who's out of touch with reality and will only talk about Jesus and won't talk about anything else. What are we having for supper? It doesn't matter. We're just talking about Jesus. No, it, it, it means you talk about the wicked. You talk about reality in light of God. But God is the main character to that story. Fixing your eyes on God doesn't mean that you live in denial with your head buried in the sand. Wicked? What wicked? I don't know. It's not so bad. No, no, no. In fact, Asaph mentions the wicked. He says, I went to the sanctuary of God. I got my eyes fixed on Him. And and interesting, what's like the first thing he mentions here? He mentions the wicked. I discerned their end. Verse 17, he says, I discerned their end. And now, with his eyes on God, he looks at the wicked, and he's going to come up with the opposite conclusion. The exact opposite conclusion. What is actually true. And look, he says, verse 18, they truly, or sorry, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. It's a very different outlook. 
but this is the true one. So he's not saying they're going to come up with financial ruin or they're going to lose their health in this life necessarily. He says not, not tomorrow, but their end. He's speaking of eternity. Their end. It's an eternal ruin. In verse 19, he says, how they are destroyed in a moment. Remember, right now, the moment's not happened. That's what's driving them nuts right now. But he says this, this is actually reality. And he's speaking then of eternity to come. Swept away utterly by terrors. It's a very different outlook. And this is why when you get your eyes on God in light of the wicked, your heart for them changes. Asaph before this, really in many ways, I, I would say hated the wicked. Was envious of them, right? Questioning God and now... I guarantee his heart is breaking for them. They have nothing. They have nothing. It's going to be gone. He says, like a dream. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. So you ever had a dream? It's like so real, you wake up, and I've had this before, my wife's mad at me. I'm like, what did I do? Right? She's like, you did this. I'm like, it was just a dream. <laughs> right? Like, but you have a dream and it's so real. Then you wake up and it's over. That's what he says. He says, this is like a dream. It's so real and it is. But man, eternity's coming. And, and that's the real life to come. Or death. And so Asaph looks at God and he's like, man, I see their end now. They're going to wake up and have everything they have gone. Everything they gained, loved, worked for, invested in, cherished, enjoyed, desired, it's going to be lost in a moment. Lost forever. Forever apart from God in hell. Therefore, they have nothing. They have nothing. Nothing to be envious of the wicked. Our hearts should break for them. And Asaph knows, and this is really interesting, coming out of that, he knows he's no, no different. He knows he's no better. Listen to verse 21. Look at verse 21. He says, when my soul was embittered, I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. I was like an animal. I was ignorant. I had no clue about life. That's what he says about himself. And then look at verse 23. And here we get gospel hope. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Why? Why was God continually with Asaph? He's an ignorant animal. Ah, this is me. Nevertheless, you're with me. Why Asaph? Well, this is the good news of the gospel. Truly, God is good to Israel. Truly, God is good to his people, despite his people. This is why we need Christ, the righteous one, the only one. This is the good news of the gospel. We're sinners, right? Nevertheless, Christ, the righteous one, he offers us his righteousness. I often say this to people. This is amazing. Christ offers you not just righteousness, no, the righteousness of God. Am I good enough before God? Well, if you're questioning that, you're questioning the righteousness of God because Christ was righteous, and he says he offers that to us as believers. How good is he to us? We're sinners, yet called righteous. Guilty, nevertheless forgiven. Christ died and bore the wrath of God on the cross. Not just most of it, not just some of it, but all of it. Do you know you and I as sinners are called righteous and called forgiven? Forgiven? We hear it sometimes so often, I think, just think of that. The goodness of God, that despite us, this is grace. I would be forgiven because of Christ. There's only one who could bear my wrath completely. Completely satisfied on the cross. Not like, well, maybe you need to punish yourself a bit more in this life just to make sure. No, this is grace. And so we continue to sin. As Christians who are born again, the Spirit of God in us, counted, justified. We don't have to be justified anymore. But yet we still sin. We feel it all the time. I mean, Melton was praying it this morning already. We are ignorant, anxious, jealous, controlling. Man, this is me, greedy, lustful, lazy. Nevertheless, Christ will keep you. He will not lose you. He will not cast you away. He's promised that. And he says he will raise you up one day. You know why Jesus says that he will raise you up one day? 
I mean, it's not just like, well, Easter, that's the thing that we say. He's saying it, first of all, because it's true, but he's saying it because that is the completion. That is bringing it to completion. It's the end. He's going to raise up your body one day. I mean, Abraham's still going to wait. He's still waiting on that day. Christ is going to raise us up. God is truly good, though we are undeserving of it. And so I want to show you three ways God shows undeserved goodness to us. Three ways that God shows undeserved goodness to us. And Asaph is going to highlight these now. So the first, undeserved protection. He says, you hold my right hand. That is undeserved. You've been continually with me. I do not deserve this. And you hold my right hand. My right hand, that sign of power. He says, you, you've got control of me. You're the protector. And so just like Asaph, we, we look around at our lives and we say, there's some areas that I'm concerned. I feel like there's some, some areas where I might uh, be hurt, where I'm unprotected. We look at the evil in the world and say, what if, what if, what if? I mean, man, has that not been easy to do the last couple of years? We feel unprotected. And people look around and be like, yeah, there's some truth to that. That's pretty scary. That's pretty unsure. But like insane animals, like Asaph, we're tempted to try to protect ourselves. So through isolation, man, when, when, when we uh, were in isolation the first little bit, I was like, this is the best thing since sliced bread for about two weeks. And then I'm like, this is killing me, right? We try to protect ourselves in different ways, isolating, worry control, through investments, whatever it would be. Nevertheless, God promised that he was with Asaph. It feels this way, Asaph, but I've got your right hand. And so he's holding yours. If you were in Christ, he's got you. So do you see that this morning? Do not go into self-protection. He's got you. Second, undeserved guidance. Undeserved guidance. He says, you guide me with your counsel. So, just like Asaph, it looks like we have no direction. There's no guidance. Like, what next? We're lost. And like insane animals, we seek guidance, you know, by, just, I'll just go with my gut. I'll just, I'll just go with my gut here on this one. I'll just look for signs. God, just show me a sign. Man, I've been there. Just, show, just something, God. Man, if you just show me, then, then certainly I would go. Or things that rhyme. Be careful. Man, how many times? You know, someone says something, it rhymes, you're like, well, it must be true. I often joke about that with my kids. I'm like, well, it did rhyme. <laughs> Friends, family, spouse, kids, whatever it is, and we look for this guidance in people. Nevertheless, God was truly with Asaph. He was counseling him. He was guiding him. I mean, you look back in your life sometimes, you're like, man, I see that, right? And God right now has given us his word, though. Right? He's given us his presence. He's given us the church. He's given us guidance. So do you see it? Three, undeserved reception. He says, in, uh, going, uh, continuing on in verse 24, and you can see it there, afterwards you will receive me to glory. God is going to personally see him to glory. God. That's good news. Not you, not me, not ourselves, but God. So just like Asaph, it looks like we won't make it. You ever wondered that? Man, when I came to Christ, if you're familiar with the sinner's prayer, I prayed that like every day for a long time. I didn't understand about the work of God in hearts. That salvation is a work of God. I thought, man, I hope I had enough faith. You know, when you're, you're you're, you're wondering, like, maybe, I, maybe he's not going to see me through. And you're tempted, you know, thinking, maybe he's got tired of me. Have you ever, ever done renovations? Anyone here familiar with renovations? It's not like the shows that some of you watch, okay? It is a dark place. <laughs> and no one finishes renos. Even if you, you know trim, how many people, like, that's the last thing. No one finishes trim. No one fills those holes. No one says, someone has, they're like, but I have. Okay, even if you have, now your house is to the point where you have to reno it again, right? <laughs> Just to discourage you. So, but, but the idea here is that like, maybe like my house, God won't quite complete it. Maybe the trim will be undone. 
I'm just not sure, God. Like, how can I be sure, right? And we, we go into like this insanity of, I'm just going to try to make sure to prove. Like, yes, Jesus, but man, it can't hurt to show a little bit of worthiness here, right? I just want to make sure that he doesn't leave me. He doesn't get tired of me. God says, nevertheless, Asaph, nevertheless, I will finish what I started. I will receive you to glory. I will do it. And the same is true with us. He will raise us from the dead one day. Do you see it? This is the work of God. And, in, and I had a friend say to me once, he said, I like thinking I can lose my salvation because it makes me a better Christian. I said, there's a couple problems with that. First of all, it's not biblical. It's a lie. Second of all, it's awful motivation. You try that in your marriage, which is a picture of the gospel. I'm going to prove myself to you so you don't leave me. Well, you're going to know today? Ah, now I know we're soulmates. Why? You wrote a song together? Like, how, how, and that won't be good enough, then you've got to write another one tomorrow. How do we know that this is true? We know it because of the blood of Christ. The power of our God. That's how I know. This is the work of God. He has allowed a dead man to understand and believe him. Guess what? Faith comes from God. And then through his word. So, undeserved grace. We are ignorant brutes. Nevertheless, God is truly good to us. He has given us Christ. He protects us. He leads us. He receives us. See this again. See this again because this increases faith. We need to get our eyes on Christ. This is why we don't get tired of the gospel. Melvin preaches on Sunday. We say, man, you shared the gospel last Sunday. We're like, you need to share the gospel again. You need to remind me of who I am and who my God is. And this builds faith. And so with Asaph in verse 25, then we say, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You can go anywhere. There's nothing, God, but you. No one, nothing, anywhere that I desire besides you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have any desire. He's not saying that. But compared to God, like you put those things up beside God, nothing compares. Nothing, nothing can eclipse God. But he knows, and we know this from the psalm, that that's easy to say. It's true. It should be true. But it's easy to say, but what if you actually have nothing? Look what he does in verse 26. So he kind of says, all right, let's just role play here. My flesh and my heart may fail. What he's saying here is worst case scenario. My flesh may fail. It may end. It may just be gone. Consumed is the word. So if, if his flesh fails, it means he, he has nothing left physically. It's nothing salvageable. Worst case scenario physically. And then my heart may fail and end. His desires and motivation, his courage, gone. You ever get the wind knocked out of you? It's like this forever. You can't get your breath back. He said, worst case scenario, if you don't have your physical life, if you don't have your heart, you know, your, your desires, the, the core of who you are, you have nothing. You have nothing. And he says, worst case scenario, I have nothing. But then what does he say? But God, okay, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is the strength, or that word is rock, of his heart. God is his rock of the core of who he is. So many things can encourage our heart. And if it's warm and sunny out today, there's not many people like, man, I can't believe it's sunny and warm today. Right? Like, that's encouraging. But that makes a lousy rock. I think this is why we talk to people about the weather. We, you know, we drove here, it's three bazillion miles from Edmonton, and uh, we, had, we had a bad stretch of weather, because that has to happen, right? And so, uh, you know, every gas station, man, that weather. And I'm like, why do I keep talking about the weather? Right? Like, it's, there's some encouragement in that. 
We're like, yeah, we can all agree on that. We can, the world can, common grace. But it makes a lousy rock. God is the strength and the steady of our hearts. And God is our portion, that is inheritance. So the last two years, you know, man, that has been so true. For me, it's been a wake-up call. You're not going to find heaven on earth. My portion, right? Like, yes, I can't wait to be with the Lord. But if I'm honest, it's like, and it's really sweet to have this house or this dog or whatever, right? But the last two years when we've lost some things, man, that has been the best thing for us because this is not, we're not going to find heaven on earth. Our portion is God. It's God. We have God. Man, we need to hear that. I need to hear that. Only God is a lasting inheritance. Our portion forever. Heaven is only what heaven is because God is there. We've even got so fixed on like this portion thing. Well, if I can't have it here, at least I got heaven. And we almost don't even think about God. Heaven is heaven because God is there. We have God. That's the gospel. Redeemed, sir, Redemption Church redeemed back to God, right? Brought back to God, which gives us hope. Praise God, right? So so this this is hope. This is our gospel, right? So verse 27, he says, for behold, he kind of wraps it up here. He says, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. So the wicked are far from you, God. Yes, this is true. But those who are in Christ are near. And he says, verse 28, But for me, it is good to be near God. And it is good to get my eyes on God. It is always, always, always good. It may not be easy, but it is always good. He says, I have made the Lord God my refuge. He didn't just say, God's my refuge. He says, I've made him my refuge. There's an intentional effort God is my refuge, not my phone. Like, hear this, I need to hear this this morning. Not my phone, not food, not video games, not social media, not the news. What's your refuge? And those things are easy to go to, to find refuge in. Just autopilot, you're there. And maybe you've got some of those things that are your your refuge. He says, I will make, in light of the gospel, I will make God my refuge. And that takes work. It takes work, but it is so good. God is our refuge. We have God. We have his word. His word, are you in it? It is hard work. Do not think it will be easy, but it is good. Make God your refuge. Get in his word. If you don't have a, a, a daily Bible plan, you need to get one. Get in his word. I don't feel God. Well, read Psalm 73 again. And make him your refuge. And if you don't feel him for a thousand years, you, you stay in his word. You stay in prayer. You become a man or woman of prayer. I don't feel him. I don't know how to pray. Ask God to teach you how to pray. You know he hears you. It's communion with him. You come out to those prayer meetings that, that you have here at the church and you pray. He is my refuge. I don't feel like it. It's tough. The kids are screaming. I guarantee on a prayer night it is going to be the toughest day of your life and so good. You make him your refuge. You make him your refuge. You get to church. Some of you are unable to come, but many of you, it's easy. It's easy to be at home. It's easy. I told you, first two weeks of COVID, I'm like, this is the best thing ever. I am so happy I don't have to see so-and-so. God has made it difficult relationships, and it is so good. And it is so good to be with God's people. Make him your refuge. We need the church. We need to gather together. You need to make this priority one. Number one, we have to keep meeting together. And then he says, I've made God my refuge that I may tell of your works. Isn't it interesting? He had nothing to say before. And if he was going to say something, well, I'm going to be good. And now he's like, I'm going to tell your works. And this isn't just now I'm going to be an evangelist, though that would be part of it. I would say even primarily to God's people. We need to tell each other of God's works. I need you to keep my eyes fixed on God. And God has used the church, and particularly local churches. God has brought you here. If this is your local church, 
then God in his wisdom has brought this mix of people together that we would tell of his works again and again and again and again. God is truly good, but seeing is believing. So where are your eyes? If your eyes are off God, you will see the wicked, you will see yourself, you will see worst case scenario, and you will question if he is truly good. If your eyes are on God, then no matter what you see, even worst case scenario, you will know that he is truly good. He is truly good. So, fitting song, we get to worship together and sing. It's called God, You're So Good. I think that's the name of it. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then let's worship together. Father, we, we bow our, our heads, we bow our hearts to you. We, we ask you, Lord, even now, help us, Lord, we're so weak. Would you, would you help us fix our gaze on you even as we worship together to hear each other's voices, to sing so that our brother, our sister can hear again this morning. We even think about what they're going through, what they've been struggling with. Do you hear? Do you hear what we're singing, what I'm singing for you? Lord, that we'd encourage one another in this. Would you help us to get our eyes on you? God, you are so good. You are so worthy. Lord, in light of all that we see, the world at best can only try to distinguish what they see and figure it out in their own wisdom, and there is nothing to be found. It's empty, but Lord, we have the cross, we have the gospel, we have a hope. And so, Father, would you fix our gaze on you so that we would um, be able to repent then, Lord. And I pray by your Spirit, show us, show me where my gaze has not been fixed on you. What I'm talking about, what I'm worrying about, what I'm thinking about, what I'm angry about is not about you, God. It's these things that I, I want, and at best I say, God, like give them to me. But Lord, would we repent of that, and Lord, come back to you and say, God, we have you. Look what you've done for me. Look what's coming, Lord, for us. Brother, sister, remember it. Lord, I just pray that you would help us in this. Lord, and so we, uh, we call you worthy, you are worthy, and we lift our voices now in song. In Jesus' name, amen.